Hey everyone, and welcome to the How to Teach Anything podcast, the show where we interview different instructors, coaches, and educators to see what we can learn about the art of teaching. My name is Matt Eiler, and I'll be your host as we discuss best practices to teach anything. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the How to Teach Anything podcast. Our guest today is Shelly Kino. She's a special educator with 30 years experience in the field uh, who now works with families and school districts as an IEP consultant. Uh, She's been quoted in U.S. News and World Report and is also the author of Those Who Can't Teach, a book containing the true stories of special needs families to promote acceptance, inclusion, and empathy. Shelly, we're so excited you're here with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, awesome. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, So your main job is you're an IEP consultant. Um, Can you explain to some of our viewers who maybe aren't involved in the special education community what an IEP is, what purpose does it serve? How does that work? So an IEP stands for Individualized Education Program. Sometimes the P is interchanged with plan. So you might hear it as an Individualized Education Plan. Either way, it's the same document. It is the document that drives special education. It tells the present levels of performance of the child. It lists out the goals and the uh, benchmarks that the teachers are going to give specially designed instruction to the child to achieve. It lists accommodations and modifications, and then also lists out the service minutes that the child will get in order to uh, be able to achieve those goals and objectives that were written. All of that is developed by a team of people. The parent is a main part of the team. They are an equal member of the team, and that sometimes is not um, as clear or as accomplished as it should be. Um, And then the remaining members of the team come from the school's Part. So there's a usually a gen ed teacher, a special ed teacher, an administrator, and then somebody who can interpret any um, test results. Mm. And sometimes the um, administrator and the person who is evaluating those test results can be the same person. So at a minimum, there would be three people from the school's part of the team and then the parent. But you can also have, if you have related services such as speech, occupational therapy, physical therapy, behavioral, social work, nursing, um, and the list goes on. So you could potentially have, I've had people tell me they've had 22 people from the representing the school's part of the IEP team and then a parent. So it can certainly be a very daunting process for a parent because it's this whole room full of experts and yourself and you as the parent are the expert too. Everyone from the school's part of the team is an expert in their field, in their uh, subject, in their grade level, in their related service. You are an expert in your child. And I really try to stress that to parents that there is no one on the team that knows your child better than you do. And so when I'm working with these parents, I really, really work with them to to really um, accept and grasp onto that concept that you are just an equal expert as everybody else at that team and trying to get them a little bit more comfortable when they go into those meetings because they are very complex There is a lot of information that happens at these meetings. Um, These most of these documents are a minimum of 12 to 15 pages, and they can be I've seen them up to over 100 pages. 
So it's like reading, it's a legal document. So it's like reading a lease or a mortgage. You know, there's a lot of information in there that is given to you from the other party and you trust it. You want to trust it. You believe that everything in it is, is what's best and what's appropriate and and you're covered in in every instance. What I do as a consultant (laughs) is I, I come in and, and I, um, because I am a former educator, I understand all that teacher ease. Sure. Um, but there's even times when I'm, because I can work anywhere in the country, I don't always understand some of the acronyms because we have our own shorthand, every district, every teacher. And um, so it's always good to ask questions. And I do that too, but I also explain as much as I can to the parents and help them feel comfortable and calm and confident at their meetings that they are having their voice heard and they are asking for what's appropriate and as an equal member of the team that they are getting everything that they should be getting for their child. Yeah, I imagine it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like when you sign up for an account, you see the terms and conditions and you want to scroll through the bottom, but you can't do that Uh with with an IEP because that's your child and you want to make sure um, that everything's in there. So you you, you advocate a lot for, for parents and what are, what are some of the, um, what's the word? I don't want to say disagreements, but what are some of the areas that you see maybe uh, teachers or administrators kind of lacking in that you help the parents advocate for? And what can I as a teacher learn that, hey, maybe I'm not hearing a parent's voice as much? What are some of the things you've seen? Um, that's the biggest one right there, Matt, is that the the parents don't feel like they're being heard. Mm-hmm. And so one of the main things that I do with parents in every IEP, there is a section called the parent concerns or parent input or something along the lines where the parent's voice can actually be put into the IEP. And so I work with the parents, sorry, my phone was making noise. I work with the, the parents to um, get that section filled in and hone in on, you know, parents want to be heard for everything. Um, And of course, that's valuable and important. But we at these IEP meetings, we really need to focus on just a few things at a time. Mm -hmm. And so helping them feel like, okay, yes, here are my concerns. um, And I'm going to put them down on paper, and I'm going to have them included in the IEP. What we tend to forget as educators is that this is this person's whole life. Um, You know, this parent's child is everything to them. And many times our students in special education don't, or I shouldn't even say don't, they can't go home and speak to their parents about their day in the same way that a gen ed student can. And you can ask your gen ed student questions. Yes, you might get a, okay, it was fine, or it was good, or nothing happened. But you could then start asking them other questions to kind of pull the information out. A lot of our students in special education, their parents can't do that with them for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And so, so many parents want that communication of, I'm not asking you because I don't trust you. I'm asking you because I can't get that same information from my child. I have no one else. Yeah. Right. And so they want to know, you know, like, well, what does this, what does this accommodation look like? What, um, what is this goal? Why is this important? Um, You know, most parents are not educators. They don't understand the hierarchy of you need this skill to get this skill, to get this skill, to get this skill. And so just explaining that to them and not being defensive. Yeah. when we explain that stuff. 
Yeah. So would you say, is there, have you seen, is there a pretty big disconnect between uh, parents and educators when it comes to these IEP meetings and developing a plan? Because it, it sounds like communication is the, the biggest thing that you, you would advocate for. And yeah, sadly, by the time most parents call me in, it has come to that point, but I don't have to be called in at that point. I can come in at the very beginning, you know, just to help everybody. Um, I have worked with some fabulous teams though. So I don't want it to, to, I don't want parents or teachers because I know there are fabulous teachers out there who are doing a great job. Um, but usually by the time a parent is like, okay, I just, I've tried and I can't do this on my own. I have to bring in somebody else now. So by the time I come in, but I don't think that that is necessarily the norm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, I think what you're saying, you know, me as a, a former teacher and educator, I think, Uh, I really like what you said about, you know, not being defensive, because I think a lot of times when you're talking about your child, that is your whole world, like you said. And so I have seen meetings where tension gets very high. um, And I think just realizing you're all on the same team is 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 really important um, because you all want the same thing at the end of the day. Um, Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, you know. I want to point out real quick for maybe some people that don't realize, you know, special education is a wide range. You know, someone could mm-hmm. have an IEP for, yes. you know, a, a mild learning disability or speech and language impairment all the way up to autism and, you know, other, other, uh, disabilities. Um, so what are, what are some areas that you've seen where, I, as a general education teacher, or even something outside of the classroom, like a little league coach or a dance instructor, what are some areas where we can learn to better include uh, students in the special education community? What are some areas you've seen lacking and how can we fix that? That's an awesome question. And I think um, some key things to remember is that whomever you're dealing with is a person first. Sure. So remembering that, you know, whatever eligibility gave them that IEP for special education is not all that that person is. They are still a child first. They still want to be um, accepted. So if you can just, hey, how are you doing? Um, and, And accept them for exactly who they are and build a bit of a relationship with them, just talk to them. And, you know, if you're the, the baseball coach or the dance instructor, and if you have not had much experience with someone with this particular disability that this child is presenting, or just disabilities in general, talk to the parent, ask them, you know, like, what is the way that you communicate with them best? How can I communicate with them? Um, what can I learn from you as the parent who's been with this child all this time and who knows all of these things? Mm-hmm. Um, you will go a long way, both in your relationship with the child, but also in your relationship with that parent, because you're respecting their knowledge and you are acknowledging that, hey, you know what? Your child is different. I don't want to treat them differently if that's not what's best, sure. but if I need to treat them you know, a slight bit different because of in the way I communicate or the way I present material or how often I present it or whatever you know, it is, they're, they'll know that you care about their child and mm-hmm. that the child will know that they are cared about because of who they are, not because it's your job 
to be their coach or their instructor or their teacher or um, their their neighbor. Or, I mean, whatever it is, yeah, yeah. I mean, that really does apply to to everybody. Just take the time to to appreciate the person by just acknowledging, hey, how's it going today? Are you having a rough day? Are you having a good day? What can we, you know, um, yeah, that's not even like a, that you. Yeah, that's not even a special education thing. That's just no, you know, that's just for teachers in general or, you know, people exactly. in general. Um, exactly. And that's, yeah. that's exactly what you said. Yeah. It's a special education because you asked it for special education students, but the, that's what the main key is, is to mm-hmm. treat them as if they're not mm-hmm. special education because they don't want that to be acknowledged. You know, it'd be like me if there was a special way to treat people with red hair, sure. you know, that you were to treat me a, a way because I had red hair, not because I am the person that I am. Yeah. So would you say um, when it comes to uh, accommodations, is 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 the goal to level the playing field? You know, you, you mentioned they don't want that acknowledged. Um, so so what would you say? What would you say is an, an ideal way to uh, elevate that student that might have some some special needs? Um you know, but without accentuating those, is that the idea is to bring them to the same level playing field? Yeah. So within this field of special education, for sure, the accommodations and modifications are a way to help the child access their curriculum. Mm -hmm. It isn't changing necessarily everything about their curriculum or what materials that they're using. It can be. Um, And so, you know, when it comes to being a coach or a dance instructor or something, you know, if if somebody's performing in the theater, um, it is figuring out like, okay, maybe there is um, a texture, say, for a theater, you know, that there is a sound issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Just figuring out, you know, what's going to help this person be the best version of themselves that they can um, and be able to function in this environment. So, you know, if it's a sound thing, maybe they wear headphones or they wear earbuds or, um, you know, we figure out somehow to lessen the sounds for them. Um, if it's a, if it's a clothing texture thing, you know, maybe we find different material for them to be able to wear as their costume. Um, if it's the, the dance routines, you know, maybe it is that, um, they learn the steps a little bit slower Um, or in smaller increments than the rest of the dance team. Yeah. So yeah, it is um, giving them, like you said, putting them as much on, on level playing field as possible. And you know what, you know what I just, I love that you just said is none of the accommodations that you just mentioned included removing the child from the educational setting. Um, You know, it was, it wasn't, Oh, it wasn't, you know, using the dance, you know, analogy, it wasn't, well, they can't do this class. It wasn't, Oh, well, they're going to have to sit out of this routine. It's always finding something uh, and and enabling them to participate in some way so that they're equal to their peers. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've worked with hundreds of families and I have spoken with experts that have been in the field much longer than myself. And every situation. It's not about for the parents, at least, oh my, you know, they don't come to me with their concerns of, oh, my child is failing this class or this class or not do, you know, they're really, they're really struggling with this skill or that skill. Their main concern is they don't have friends. Mm. They're not included with their peers. They're, they're not able to do the things that their same age mates are doing. 
And so the more types of things that we can do to include them in all of those kinds of things, because that's really what adult life is. Yeah. It's all those interactions that we have with our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, the people we go to church with, whomever that we run into on a daily basis. It's not about what grade you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 I think that's really key because I think, um, and, and like you mentioned before, there's tons of really great teachers out there, but I know how easy myself being a former teacher, how easy it is to get caught up in the, the testing and the assessments and the grades. Right. Um, but that comes secondary with, with, with special education because there's so much more going on that you need to uh, equip those students to, to, to have the best life possible. I think that's really awesome. Yeah. yeah. And can I say something? Before yeah, go for on? it. One of the, I think um, biggest mistakes that we make is, and, and this is what you and I have actually been focused on, and, and, I, and I'm trying to change this, is that we take so much time and energy in teaching the person who's different to get along with those who are quote unquote normal, mm. but we don't take the time to teach the quote unquote normal kids to include the different kid. Sure. And, and so, so yeah, we well, need how to would you do, do that? What, what, what does that look like? Because I think that's a really interesting point. It's not just about bringing the, the special education student up to the, like you said, quote unquote, normal level, but also teaching the normal students that we are going to encounter right. a lot of people that are different. So what are some ways you've seen that work? Do you have any advice for us on that? A lot of it is, is really just jumping in and including them. Um, you know, like I, like we talked about these coaches, you know, just having the student do the steps that they can do, or, you know, um, if it's like T-ball, you know, that, that maybe they have a, I don't know if it's allowed, but a bigger bat or sure. that they have, you know, something that is, they're still there. They're still swinging at the ball. They're still running to the bases. You know, maybe they have somebody guiding them, from home plate to first base. If, you know, I mean, I, I have my own podcast. I didn't know. I don't know if you know that, but I interviewed a whole team of blind baseball players. So, I mean, there are absolutely ways to include everybody in any situation. And so just thinking outside the box and being willing to allow for that sort of thing to happen. Um, And then talking to the other kids about, look, you know, Shelly is just like you. She wants to play. She wants to have fun. She wants to enjoy the game just like you do. So um, just because she might need these couple of extra things in order for her to do that um, doesn't mean that she's not worthy to be your friend, you know, so play with her like you would play with anybody else. Um, In the classroom, It looks as simple as having a desk. You know, if you have a child who is out of your classroom most of the day, but they only come in for a couple of things, um, have a desk with their name on it or have a spot where, hey, this is Shelly's spot. Every time she comes in, this is her seat. Don't don't make a spot away from the whole group, Mm -hmm. um, which too often I see in general ed classrooms because it's just easier to do that because that person's only in there maybe 20 minutes or a class period. Um, and so to designate a full desk for them that isn't occupied the rest of the day takes up space. And I understand that, but at the same time, you're sending a signal to that yeah. student that, yeah, come on in, this is your inclusive time, but we're not really going to include you. Sure. 
Um, Talking to the kids about, you know, if there is a a diagnosis of autism or um, some sort of medical diagnosis, you know, make sure that the parent of that child is okay with that. And then talk to the rest of the people in the class or the team and say, look, you know, Shelly might behave this way. um, And this is why she's behaving that way. It's nothing bad, you know. It's just part of who she is. Yeah. Um, and it, it all, it, it depends on the level of, you know, the group that you're talking right, to. If right. you're talking to, you know, primary kids or you're talking to high school kids, you know, it's going to be a little bit different, exactly the wording that you use, but just explaining to them their kids are curious. I mean, they're wondering what is going on with that person anyway. Sure. But they you, just don't know that they're allowed to ask. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, you're, I think I think a lot of times when we have someone that is different um, from what is considered the general population, um, we tend to shy away. And just by including that person or having a conversation, you're able to achieve a lot. Um, and that that's 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 extraordinary because you know that's not our always our natural instinct. And so we kind of have to be counterintuitive and say, all right, you know, I'm gonna give this person a desk and you send such a big message just by doing that, or we're going to have this conversation. And I think once you have the conversation once, you know, it's, it, everything just goes uphill from there. Um, yeah, that's, that's, and that's, we have to, that's incredible. Have, I'm just, I'm just, I'm no, I'm just praising you. Like, I think that's, I think that's a great, a great point. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And, and we, as parents, if we know, you know, because we're not, all of our kids are not on some extracurricular activity. So a lot of this is going to come from just in the general classroom. So if we, as parents know that there is a child that is going to special education within our own child's classroom, we need to have that direct conversation with our children of, Hey, you know, this kid might be a little bit different than you because they need to go outside of the classroom or maybe they don't need to go outside the classroom. Maybe they just get extra accommodations in the classroom. Um, And we need to talk to them, parent to child one-on-one settings of how to include and how to accept. I'm not saying you have to be friends with everybody because that's just not how the world works, but you can be nice to everybody. You can be not bullying people because they're different than you, (laughs) you know, and that's so much of what I see and, and um, sadly saw happen to my students was that they were bullied and they were picked on and they were excluded because they were different and nobody had taught the kids how to include them and to let them know that differences are just differences. They don't mean bad or wrong or less. They're just differences. Like hair color, glasses or no glasses, um, skin color, whatever it is, it's just a difference. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. And there's some adults that need to learn that as well. I mean, yeah. So we might as well start equipping our kids when they're young. So they become good, healthy adults. That's important. You know, one of the things you, you mentioned, you know, about differences that I think a lot of times we see in the special education community is, um, issues with, with behavior and, and, and negative behaviors. Um, and those can be a difference that is sometimes hard to handle and accommodate. Um, you know, and if I'm a, like a, a martial arts instructor, uh, you might have a, well, I'll give you this example. My dad was military growing up. So we had a certain way of, of, of uh-huh. handle of handling negative behaviors and those aren't always the most helpful. Um, right. so, so what is, what is the ways you've seen, 
to accommodate negative behaviors? What are some tips you have and how do those apply not only in the traditional classroom, but to outside settings? Oh, another excellent question. And most definitely the biggest thing, two biggest things to remember about behaviors are that all behaviors are communication and that behaviors are personal to the person exhibiting the behavior, but not toward the person receiving the behavior. So all behaviors are communication. We'll go with that one first is that something is going on with the person. And this doesn't matter if it's a child or an adult, whatever behavior is, is showing. So, you know, you and I are having this conversation today. I've smiled, you've smiled a couple of times. So those behaviors to me express joy, express happiness, um, because we're enjoying our conversation is what I'm assuming is the reason behind the smiles and, and the laughter. Yep. You're good. Um, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that is behavior. We tend not to think about those positives, though, as behaviors and those having communication, but they do. So on the flip side, you know, if, um, for example, I was teaching, I was talking to a high school class yesterday, um, and they didn't really seem very interested in what I had to say. Their, their teacher had asked me to come in because it was a careers class, and they wanted to know about education careers. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that they were very interested because of, of their body language, of beha- because of their behaviors. Um, so I didn't take that personally, though. And I have learned to do that because I'll tell you 10, 20 years ago, I most definitely would have taken that personally. Like, oh, my sure. gosh, I need to like stand on my head. I need to do something to like make this more interesting because, you know, but I was giving them the information and I was being the best version of me I could be. And it was, you know, it just wasn't something they were interested in. Most of the class was not interested in education careers, but a couple of kids had wanted to know. So they brought me in. Um, those couple of kids were interested. I couldn't control anybody else. I couldn't control those ones that were interested either, but um, remembering that when a kid is, and I've had this because behavioral kids. Um, I I just, I loved, they, I, I, some of my earliest experiences in special education were with kids who were displaying some very extreme behaviors. I was kicked, hit, punched, pinched, scratched, um, had my glasses pulled off my face, uh, learned very quickly not to wear any jewelry that dangled anywhere from me. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But those behaviors were not because the child was mad at me or was upset with me. There was a lot of stuff going on inside those kids that were displaying those behaviors. And when we were able to investigate and spend time and take the time to track the data and figure some things out based on the data and then do more discovery of you know what's going on. And in a couple of cases in my career, I've had to bring in outside sources because I couldn't see it being the mm-hmm. one right there in it every day, but somebody from the outside could look at things a little differently and give that different perspective and say, you know, I think this might be happening or this is what's going on or this is what's causing that. And then when we could deal with what was causing the situation to have those behaviors, we got rid of the behaviors. Sure. So if you're just applying a Band-Aid to the behaviors, you're not going to get rid of the behaviors for very long. If you can do some surgery on the behaviors and figure out where the root cause is, and it's a holistic approach. It's sure. not just, 
okay, well, they don't like this class. Um, so that's why they're acting up. No, it, we have a really bad habit. Um, and I love my BCBAs, which are board certified behavioral analysts. Um, but sometimes when we do behavioral intervention plans in schools, functional behavioral assessments, well, it's because they want attention. Okay, but why? That's, you know, I go back to being a two-year-old when we get to behaviors. Why? Why? And I keep asking the why question until I get down to something that I go, okay, we can work with this. Mm-hmm. And behaviors are, the more you pay attention to a behavior, the more you're going to see that behavior. So the more attention you can pay to the positive behaviors or the wanted behaviors, the more those behaviors are likely to occur because it is a lot about getting attention. But there's a what kind of attention, you know, we want to give positive attention. So if you do have somebody on your team or in your classroom, um, in your Sunday school setting, whatever it is, that is exhibiting some behaviors, work with the child, work with the family, figure out what's going on. Because it's oftentimes it's nothing directly in the moment. Mm -hmm. I hear that so often as well, there was nothing. It just came out of the blue. And that's kind of true, but there was stuff that happened before we recognized the situation. It didn't just come out of the blue. It was just that we didn't recognize the situation until it exploded. Yeah. So it, it sounds like um, a lot of a lot of behavior analysis, you want to try and be uh, preemptive rather than reactive. Uh, would you say that's that's a fair once you once you yeah. see a behavior that would be the the goal because you know like I, I know in special education like writing a BIP a behavior intervention plan like it is a long process of tracking data and things like that um, but you know if I'm a uh, a dance coach you know with the teaching a 30 minute ballet class I might not have the time to right. do that um, so if you had to give just like a quick piece of advice to to someone who um, is trying to help a student with a, a negative behavior and doesn't have time for all of that, what, what would be what would be the uh, preemptive advice you would give? Try to think of the child instead of attention seeking mm-hmm. as connection seeking. Sure. Um, that they're and if you're in a in a setting, you know, um, just a few quick behavioral strategies are you know like get to eye level at a safe distance, you know, if somebody's kicking, you don't want to be right next to them, but get to eye level, remain calm, keep your tone of voice calm and repeat the direction, um, in the exact same wording every time. Because a lot of our kids, when, when they're having a, like a, a true meltdown, they're not rational. And a meltdown is different than a temper tantrum. Mm -hmm. A temper tantrum can stop on a dime. A meltdown is it, it literally has to run its it, a full course. Sure. So staying calm, not taking it personally, because remember, they're not aggravated. They're not directing that attention at you. They're, they're in crisis mode sure. when they're in a meltdown. Um, but the, yeah, some of the best things, I mean, because not everything is going to get to an explosive situation. So if you can catch behaviors when they're just starting to go off the rails, stay calm, Keep your directions simple. Pause in between. Don't just do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. That is not going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Give them the direction. Wait a few seconds, maybe even longer than a few seconds, depending on who the person is. Repeat the direction. 
sometimes it is a, a situation where they do just have to sit out for a second and sort of have a reset, mm-hmm. um, a distraction of, okay, well, let's talk about this or let's go over here and do this for a second and then we'll come back. Awesome. Awesome. That's really great advice. Thank you so much. Um, Shelly, really quick, we're, we're running out of time. Uh, real quick minute, uh, shout out, where can people find you, find resources, that type of thing? I have my own website. It is ShellyKino.com. And my name is spelled S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-K-E-N-O-W. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. Um, just type in Shelly Kino into any of those locations. There's a slightly different version of my name. In, I mean, as far as like what falls behind my name um, on each of those places. Like I said before, I have the YouTube um, or the, the video podcast, Hashtag No Limits, where I interview people whose society has placed limits upon, but who have busted through those limits. And then I do Friday with Fran, which is a friend and I, uh, she has raised two children with disabilities that are now adults. And she herself became a person with disabilities a few years ago. And so she talks about everything from those angles. And I talk about things related to special education from the special education teacher side. Awesome. Great. Well, we will definitely link all those in the description. Um, Thank you so much, Shelly, for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, Great conversation. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, And thank you to all our listeners who are tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to the How to Teach Anything podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. If you're looking for more How to Teach Anything content, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest updates about upcoming episodes and more teaching tips. Uh, My name is Matt Eiler. You've been listening to the How to Teach Anything podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.